0: for all that you've done we give you all the glory but we do offer ourselves as broken vessels broken pots (laughs) but here we are willing to serve in whatever capacity you call us if you will empower us, if you will lead us we will go and thank you for the opportunity and now teach us from your word uh, the vision that you have for us as well from your word and we pray these things in Jesus name Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Uh, It's the last book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And uh, we're going through Revelation verse by verse. And it just happened that he's talking about vision here. And I'm going to talk about vision, you know, so it kind of... You can't make this stuff up. God put this all together. I just think he's he's incredible. Okay, because I just preach verse by verse, right? I just go through the book, and uh, sure enough, it uh, you know, good job, God. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, "Without a vision, the people perish." And God, it's got to be God's vision. What is He calling us to? And what we see in our passage, John's vision of Christ sets the stage for the rest of the book of Revelation, and it presents a vision that should be at the center of every church, and it is at the center of Harvest. At our celebration service, we want to look at where we've come from. We want to see who we are and where we are going, uh, but through the lens of God's vision to the church, and so let's dig in to our passage starts out in verse 9. A long life of faithful service got John in trouble. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in, in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so, John, you know, he was the youngest of the apostles, and here, this is towards the end of his life, he was the last of the apostles to die, and we see him here uh, exiled on the island of Patmos uh, because of his testimony. A long life of faithful service got John in trouble. I want to read something from uh, Achan's commentary, just kind of describing uh, what's going on here. Patmos was a 10-by-6-mile mountainous island in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Asia Minor or modern Turkey. It may have been a penal colony for exiled criminals banished and sentenced to hard labor in the rock quarries. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, exile to such islands was a common form of punishment in the first century. John was probably sent to Patmos as a Criminal, As a Christian, he was a member of an illegal religious sect. If so, the conditions under which he lived would have been harsh, exhausting labor under the watchful eye and ready whip of a Roman overseer, insufficient food and clothing, and having to sleep on the bare ground would have taken their toll on a 90-year-old man. It was on the bleak, barren island under those brutal conditions that John received the most extensive revelation of the future ever given. Isn't that awesome? So in the midst of the tragedy, a long life of faithful service gets John in trouble. And we, our phrase here at Harvest is we want to be real. Real people, real God, real relationships, real change. And we want to be real with you. There are no false promises here, okay, uh, you, you're not probably going to have a trouble-free life if you receive Jesus Christ into your life. Uh, we see here clearly not a trouble-free free life for John. And 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 you know what? We're looking back and seeing some of the things that we did this last year, and, and we really did have favor with our community, okay? Uh, I mean, it was pretty neat what, what we got to see. But we got some persecution as well. I, I think of the drive-through prayer. Some of you who were holding signs on the, uh, on the road out on Benton, uh, th- there were lots of people who were honking and cheering and stuff. But every now and then people would roll down their window and use a particular finger that I'm not going to mention. And, and, you know, and, and it was like why? And, and, it, and it's because of Satan. Pray for those people. They don't know where they're at, they're in the darkness. So tragically, you know, some of that. The parade, incredible, wonderful people cheering and so forth. But also there was a group that turned their backs on us as we're going along. You know, so, there's, so persecution, that's nothing compared to what we see in the Bible and what we see throughout the world even today of Christians. But 2 Timothy 3.12 says very specifically, if you seek to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. That's a promise. It's not one of those promises is you usually put on a plaque though you know right you know (laughs) if you seek to live a godly life you will be persecuted sign me up let's go right yeah but but that's that's reality okay especially as we see the days nearing and the end of time coming our way but God has blessed us with favor in this community as well we had over a hundred people drive through the drive-through prayer and receive prayer I mean, it's amazing. Uh, we had 20 people baptized this year, so we couldn't even put them all on the videos, you know. Uh, giving exceeded our budget. Uh, last year, we had a vision um, for young uh, married families, uh, uh, young families, and uh, reaching them. And, and and from that, an informal young married uh, families uh, group meets every other month, and, and they had a Christmas party that, uh, that, where there was over 40 people there, which is just incredible, you know. And, th- and several of them weren't able to come. They weren't able to, to be able to make it. And so God really is blessing our church and uh, through your efforts, through seeking him. Now, let's get back to John here. Back in verse 9, we see that John specifically was in trouble because of the word of God. He says he he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was in trouble because of the word of God. You know, the devil hates the Bible. Throughout history, we see how he's done everything he possibly could to try to wipe it out, but unsuccessfully. He will do anything he can to keep you from this book. He wants you to say, I'm too busy. I'll leave that for the pastors or whatever. Every believer should be reading God's word every day. Food for the soul. And Satan does not want you to do that. But we emphasize that here. Uh, Just like for John, for us, the Bible is our final authority. Um, it is the, the reason why I, I wrote my book, The Uniqueness of the Bible, to show the supernatural nature of God's Word, to show that it is above all other authorities. That we, you know, we all have a final authority, that which we uh, use to help discern what is right, what is wrong, what is true, and what is false. Most people, it's themselves. But as a person, as a human being, we are finite and we are sinful. We're lousy final authorities. Others use tradition, but tradition is just a bunch of selves. Same problem. But God has revealed Himself and His plan and His Word without error so that we don't have to guess. And so uh, we can either be limited Uh, to our ability to reason or our fickle feelings, or we can trust in God's Word and say, you know what, it's not how I feel, it's not what I think, but God's Word is true, it's proven itself to be trustworthy. So the Bible is our final authority. And because of that, uh, expository preaching is critical to who we are. Expository preaching, thats a, by the way, uh, that's the practice that stems from the synagogues in the Old Testament. They get it right from Nehemiah 8, verse 8, where they would read a passage of the Scriptures and then explain it. So they went through one of the books. They'd read it verse by verse. Uh, they didn't have verses in them, but they'd read a passage, and then they would explain it. Okay, the early church Took after that same pattern from the uh, from the synagogues, and they kept the practice. Read the passage, explain it. We believe that that's a biblical practice, and so and it's the way. Instead of just me teaching you all know, my my nice ideas, you know, uh, which I don't have very many, you know. So that's a, you know that's a, you know, we could do topical fluff stuff where you know ten ways of how you can be happy today, you know, or whatever, you know, or Dig into God's Word. What does God's Word say? How does it apply to our lives? That's, we believe, God's plan. And that's how we really can be real people, with the real God who speaks to us, developing real relationships with God and with each other that actually produces real change. That's God's vision for, for us. Um, this expository preaching is critical. To who we are. So John was in trouble because of the Word of God. Maybe someday we will be too. But John was also in trouble because of his testimony of Jesus. It specifically says, and the testimony of Jesus. That's why he's on this island. That's why he's suffering, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Evangelism is God's way of spreading the gospel. The gospel is the only way people can be saved. And evangelism, sharing our testimony, the testimony of what Jesus did for us and how it changed our lives, evangelism, that is how people hear the gospel. Matthew 28, 28 through 20 is the great commission. And uh, and that's God saying to his people, all of us, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all the things that I have taught you that's what Jesus said we're all commissioned to that second corinthians 5:17 uh, through 21 says that all of us are ambassadors of Jesus Christ ambassadors bringing the ministry of reconciliation that we're to help people be reconciled to God, help people come into a personal, incredible, awesome relationship with the creator of the universe. We're all commissioned to that. We're all His ambassadors. In Romans 10, 9 through 17, uh, evangelism is central to God's plan of the gospel. It says, how can they hear unless someone shares with them? And so... Evangelism is critical to who we are. When I was first being interviewed, actually, to be the pastor here uh, seven years ago, uh, the, the, the search committee actually had three things they were looking for in their future pastor. They wanted somebody who was very familiar with the cell church model. Uh, that's the life group Life Church model that we have here. That's the churches I've ever pastored. They've always been that model. They wanted they wanted someone who had the gift of evangelism. And I want to just tell you, I cannot think of anything more exciting, exhilarating, and fun as to share with somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus Christ, okay? So it is a kick, and you really need to try it, all right? But at any rate, so evangelism. And then third someone who preached expository preaching verse by verse through the Bible. And in fact, people told them, they said, you know, if you can find someone with two out of those three, that's great. You know, but, you know, that is, that's who we are and that's who I am. This is, this is who we are as Harvest Fellowship. But John, he was in trouble because of his testimony for Jesus. Evangelism, though, is critical. Uh, Revelation 12, 11 is my... Uh, Wife's favorite verse. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There's something powerful about sharing your faith that really helps you grow in Christ. So we have our real activities. You know, you hear them every month, a different idea on how you can very practically share the love of Jesus. Uh, we have a different events, as you've seen last year. We got together yesterday. Uh, we got a, a group uh, together to talk through our evangelism strategy, brainstorming for this upcoming year. Got some incredible ideas. I'd love to do all of them, but if we did... We probably would be, you know, doing something every single day and then we'd all burn out and die. But uh, but so, so, so we got to really figure out, you know, which ones are we going to do. But it was so good just to hear, oh, we could do that. You know, just seeing the light bulbs turn on in uh, God's people. We're having our apologetics seminar called Intelligent Christianity. That starts two weeks from tonight, okay? It is an intensive class that I will be teaching two and a half hours every night. We do take a break. Okay, but two and a half hours for eight weeks every Sunday night, uh, where we are going to dig into the the serious questions that people have and how you can answer them to prepare you and equip you so that you can go out and feel like you know you know what I don't know everything but I can answer some questions I can help some people and so you know, please put that on your calendar. It's free. I mean, I think we even give coffee, right? You know, so there you go. If somebody wants to bring treats, that'd be great too. But uh, anyway, okay, so, uh, so evangelism is critical to who we are. Now let's go, go back to our passage here, verses 10. Oh, I'm sorry, there you go, evangelism is critical. I don't press the button enough, do I? Verses 10 through 11, John loved the church. He goes on, he says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, what we need to understand here is John was probably alone simply because he's exiled on this island, but he still continued his practice that he had practiced throughout his life. On the Lord's Day, on Sunday, he was in the Spirit. He was seeking the Lord. He wished he could have been with the body of Christ because he loved them. And then he sends these letters to these particular churches because God loves the church. John loved the church. Uh, the great commandment to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, the New Testament speaks of a special love that brothers and sisters in Christ have for each other. And you've, I'm sure you've felt this, like you, you meet somebody, you know, from another state or whatever and then you find out they're a believer and it's like you're an instant brother or sister in Christ, right? You feel that bond. That's that's the love that's supposed to be there. John loved the church. So, uh, and, and God's people gather together regularly. He specifically starts out this thing that it was on the Lord's day. He was pra- doing this thing that he practiced regularly because God's people gather together regularly. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Uh, and then we're going to look at the life church model here. But Hebrews chapter 10, we see that this is. Especially, by the way, this is an eschatological passage. It talks about end time stuff. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So we got to hold that hope. And let us consider how we may spur one another On toward love and good deeds. See, it's not just about you. We spur one another. Now look at verse 25. Here's how we do it. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up meeting together. Our Holman uh, version says uh, not giving up Meeting in your your worship services. This word synagogue, it's hard to say. Uh, You hear the word synagogue in it, right? It means not just meeting together for coffee or whatever. It means specifically meeting together, gathering together for church. Okay, that's what it's referring to. Don't give that up as, this, as the habit of some are doing. But encourage one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, as you see the end of time coming, we're supposed to do this more. We're supposed to be more diligent about this where we gather together on uh, Sunday mornings. And this is the life church model which is critical to who we are. We gather together on Sunday mornings and we gather together in life groups during the week we gathered together on Sunday morning the Lord's day that phrase is referring to Sunday the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ the early church we have some verses up there and there's many other places we could turn to the early church from the very beginning changed from worshiping on Saturday like the Jewish people to worshiping on Sunday, calling it the Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this was, we see this in the early church as well. I could read a bunch of early church fathers' quotes and stuff here, but I don't have time. So we'll, you know, Ignatius, uh, Barnabas, Didache, and other places where they, this was the first initial practice right from the Bible. We gathered together on Sunday mornings in a large group setting and uh, and we gather together in life groups during the week. This is this large group, small group practice. Look at uh, Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. Okay, and uh, the book of Acts has several places where this was their practice, where they would gather in the large group setting as well as in the small group from house to house setting. Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. He says, this is right after, you know, Pentecost takes place, a bunch of people get saved. And then it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we have that in the New Testament. So they devoted themselves to the Word of God and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They cared about the poor. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. We see similarly in uh, Acts 5.42, we see Acts 20.20, what some people call 20.20 vision, okay, where it says they met in a large group and they met from house to house. This was their setting. In the large group, they originally started out in the temple. So they met in the temple. They met in the Solomon's Colonnade. That was the area, big area where they could all meet because they wanted to meet in a large group. Later, they would rent halls like they rented the Hall of Tyrannus, Paul did, and other places. So whatever would work. Okay, they would gather together in a large group and then from house to house. you see so what we're talking about we 're not talking about the house church model, okay The house church model is like one of the wings is not there, okay They met together in the large group setting and from house to house, both essential now later on, early in the church history, because of massive persecution, they had to go underground, so they couldn't meet in the large settings anymore so many times they did just meet in homes typically larger homes that could fit as many people as possible but they had this practice large group small group that's the vision that we see in the Bible and, uh, and so, so we have we gather on Sunday mornings but we also encourage you get involved in a life group the local church is God's design did you see how he finished this verse here, specifically writing to seven local churches Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, etc. Local churches. You know, the word church, ecclesia, in the New Testament, when it's used, it's used predominantly to refer to a local church. When we hear the term, we typically think of the universal church, right? and and it does refer to that at times okay there is the sense in which we are all all the local churches combined are the church the body but most of the time in the new testament it refers to a local expression of that body and so that's critical that we don't ignore that part you know some people they like i don't you know i I want to be a part of the universal church but i you know i'm going to have church in my backyard because you know i don't i don't like going to those you know, those local churches because they're, they're just all full of hypocrites. And I say, yeah, you're right. But we got room for one more. <laughs> you know? It's, it's, so, so, you know, that's the local church. I want to tell you this. I love our church. Just, I mean, when we first got here, I just felt welcomed. I felt at home. I felt relaxed and comfortable. I see a bunch of people who get it. And that's neat who really actually want to participate and take part in advancing the kingdom of God. We believe, our vision is, we want to make radical, mature disciples who will advance the kingdom of God together. And uh, whatever happens, that's all right for us, you know. But, and I see that here. I think as certain people, I got three people I'm going to embarrass right now, okay. You know, I just, just, you know, I could have picked a million. Well, we don't have a million. I could have picked all of you. Okay, uh, Paul, Paul Schultz, he is like my best friend, okay? And, and uh, he's my mentor. You know, we all need somebody that we look to for guidance, for feedback, for input into our lives. We all need a mentor. And I also believe we should all be a mentor. If you find someone that you can speak into their life, but also find someone that you allow to speak into your life, that's critical. That will bring growth. Uh, and I found that here. I think of Brian Linkert, okay? Brian calls me every Monday. Sometimes it's a Tuesday. But uh, usually this is every Monday, he calls me just to pray. And we, get, we, call, we pray for each other, and it's so refreshing, so absolutely needed. And I love that about Brian. And another one, Sue Harkins, okay? She comes in. To our office, and she helps out with the library, f- f- putting in all the numbers and stuff, and this and that, you know. And and uh, and by the way, we're. We're almost ready to put our library up. So we're going to get that up very, very soon, okay? And we're going to get all those books. We've got tons of books, but we want you to be able to use them. And she's been helping out with that. But another thing about Sue, I'm sitting over there, right? I know I'm embarrassing you. I'm sitting, I'm sitting right over there. I'll look out of the corner of my eye. She loves to worship. You know what? I mean, I'm telling you what, and when I see her worshiping, it makes me want to worship. It's contagious. And isn't that good? Don't you love that about each other? This is our church. I love this, you, you guys, okay? Uh, I, I heard that's not politically correct anymore to say you guys. Okay. Y'all. We'll go back to the southern term there, okay? <laughs> Y'all. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, okay, let's move on. Verse 12 through 18. A vision of Jesus must be at the center of the vision of the church. And now we look at this vision that Jesus has. We'll start out with verses 12 through 16 where we see that Jesus really is all all we need. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Could you imagine this? This is like, wow, John, you know, what a blessing. You had to have that vision. Just, it would have blown us. It did blow him away. We'll see in just a moment. But uh, but here we see a vision of Jesus. He has this vision of Jesus. And by the way, he needed this. And the church needs this, especially as it's going towards the persecution that may be coming. A vision of Jesus in all of his glory. Because this is, this is different, isn't it? It's kind of cool how in the Bible we have several different snapshots of what Jesus is like. In the Gospels, we have four different portraits of Jesus. Really emphasizing different aspects of who he, who he is and what he was like when he was on the planet. Book of Hebrews, we have really a, a great picture of Jesus as our high priest. And here in Revelation, he's the king of kings. He's conquer. I love the... Back in chapter 1, we already saw this earlier, but he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And they needed to know this in the midst of persecution. You need to know Jesus is on the throne and his, all of his majesty, the exalted Lord. In Achan's book again, he kind of goes through this just briefly. In his clothing that's described, he's our priest. In his wisdom gray hair, he is profound. His eyes like fiery flames. In his strength, he's permanent. In his announcements, he's powerful. He's protective. His right hand is the hand of authority and honor. In his judgments, he's perfect. It both cuts and cures, hurts and heals. In his appearance, he is praiseworthy. Jesus really is. He's prophet, priest, and king. He's all we need. And we have to have a vision that it's all about him and he is all we need. And therefore, the proper response is what we see with John, that worship of Jesus is critical. Look at what it says. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It almost killed him. Then He placed His right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living when I was dead. And now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He's in control. He's the Lord. And so when you have, when you get a picture of Jesus Christ and you realize He's all you need and it's all about Him, the proper response is worship. Worship is absolutely critical to who we are here at Harvest. Uh, that time we have when we sing songs to the Lord, that isn't just prep time to get us ready for the sermon. That is absolutely equally as important, if not more important. It is to praise Him, to exalt Him, to get your focus off of yourself and onto Him, and that's when hope and faith flurry. Uh, so worship is critical. First Peter 2.9 says, We were created to worship and so a vision of Jesus must be at the center of the vision of the church now just to kind of finish up verses 19 and 20 um, doesn't have no, uh, you know, much for our vision but it you know, kind of does verse 19 and 20 kind of sums up the rest of the book okay so it's important to see, see here he says write therefore what you've seen what is now and what will take place later the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay? This is actually key to understanding the whole book of the Revelation because it's a three-part outline of the whole book. We have it right here in this one verse, verse 19. He says, first of all, write what you have seen. That refers to chapter 1, to his vision of Jesus Christ. We have seen as we've gone through and we spent a little time on chapter 1 because chapter 1 is critical for us to understand the whole rest of the book. And so we, this chapter 1 is the vision to help us be prepared for whatever's going to come up next, okay? So chapter 1, what you've seen, uh, so when he says what you've seen, that's referring to chapter 1. Then he says, what is now? That refers to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are written to seven specific churches that were in existence at that time. So John is writing, this is what's going on then at that time. Now these churches, the stuff they're going through is stuff churches go through throughout the century, so this is applicable to all of us. But he says, what is now referring to chapter 2 and chapter 3, what was going on in John's life. Then he says that finally, what will take place later, that refers to chapter 4 through 22. that talks about the end times. What are the end times going to be like? And, uh, and so... For us to be prepared, especially if we're getting close to the end, of what is that going to be like? Now, where are we going? Okay, especially in light of the end, perhaps being near. We're going to continue to seek to fulfill our vision. And that is to make radical, mature disciples who will advance the kingdom of God together. We want to equip you to be able to do the calling that God has called you to in the advancing of the kingdom of God. And so we're all about that, equipping you to be prepared for whatever is we're going to face in the end. But we also believe, and as the elders, you know, we get together, we pray, and we seek the Lord. We, you know, we felt like we heard some things last year. This year, I'm not calling this a prophecy or anything, uh, but this year we really, you know, there was a sense in which we thought this could be the year of the return of the prodigals. Wouldn't it be awesome? And there are many people here who have people in their lives who... We're following Christ for a while, and then they just kind of fell off the wayside. They're, they're, they've gotten off the path, and God wants to bring them back. And if that's, if that's true, if this is the year, of the year of the return of the prodigals, wouldn't that be awesome? I know many of you are thinking, yeah, I want that to happen. Well, what, what do we do? If that's true, what should we do? That's got to be the first thing, right? If God's putting that on our hearts, we need to pray. I'm sure we're going to have some calls to pray where we'll get together and pray. But be in prayer. Put this on your prayer list daily. I, I seek specific people. I have people that I seek that are prodigals that I seek daily in their behalf. If you've got some others, give them to me. I'll pray for them, okay? But we, we want to seek this, and then whatever God says for us to do, because when you're seeking him, he might tell you, write him a letter, do this or that or whatever, okay? So, so the year of the return of the prodigals. But then secondly, also, we really feel like God wants us to prepare the facility for growth, okay? And there's certain things. We've got this old, cool building, Right? It's old, so some stuff needs to be helped. (laughs) And uh, and so we have a... Actually, let me just say this. Leon is like the most amazing guy I've ever met, right? He has put together this plan that we have. It's like three phases and things that we can do to really prepare this facility that's going to help out with traffic flow, uh, sound quality, chairs, all the way around, uh, carpeting, um, uh, the youth room upgrades because we're getting too many youth. (laughs) All right? There's no such thing as too many, is there? Okay, our connection, kids zone, and some other things. And we love that. We want to do some of this off-budget so as you feel led... To give towards those things, you probably need to put that in the the itemized line there. Put this towards that project or whatever. And we've got several things that uh, you know that we're looking at here. Um, by the way, that is above and beyond the tithe because we do need the tithes to do the normal stuff that we do. But uh, but but God has given us a clear vision, and uh, and and He wants us all to take part in it. We have an incredible group of leaders. We have a wonderful group of followers who are stepping out and getting involved. And so my question to you is, are you involved? Have you caught the vision? Let's pray. Father, we we thank you so much for what you did you accomplished through these clay pots uh, this last year give you all the glory and honor and praise you're amazing